I'm going to read a very familiar passage today. Uh, It's short in Matthew uh, chapter 6, verse 9 and 10. This, then, is how you should pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Years ago, there was a, a single mom named Monica. I don't know what I'm supposed to do with this crane now. There's a red crane up here. Single mom named Monica years ago, and she had a son, and every night during his, his youth, she would sing, sing hymns over him. Monica was a strong believer. She'd lay her hand on his little forehead and pray for him, that God would save him, intervene, and... The boy grew up to be very smart. He attended great schools, was very successful in pretty much anything he tried to do, but he had no interest in God or spiritual things. In fact, he was generally opposed to it, resistant to it. And when he was 19, though, Monica had a dream in which she felt God clearly telling her that he was going to answer her prayers and save her son, bring her son into God's family. But nothing changed. In fact, as her son got smarter and further up into more advanced intellectual circles, he began to use his enormous intelligence to debunk and debate the faith of his mother while also being a heavy-drinking womanizer at the same time, which was confusing for Monica after having that dream, sensing God saying that, years of praying. Nine years after the dream... The son had an opportunity to get a new, impressive job in a big city uh, that was known for intellect and the academy and also debauchery and revelry. And Monica stayed up all night with a burden that, that this, was, this, this move was going to be a crossroads, uh, terrified for her son to make this move, this trip. And uh, he did. And in that new city, sitting in a garden, the young man heard the audible voice of God and opened up the Bible that he'd spent most of his adult life combating and fighting and gave his life to Jesus. This guy's name was Augustine. It took place about 1,500 years ago, the story, and Augustine went on to be arguably the most important theologian in church history, one of the fathers of the early church. And I tell that story today because as we continue our 21 days of prayer, we're, we're going to get to work. The last two weeks, we've been looking at uh, pouring our hearts out to God, this level of honesty and intimacy with God where we just share what's going on. We've talked about listening, letting God speak in love into the details of our life. And today, we're rolling up our sleeves and getting after it, praying for God to do actual things on the earth. If prayer is the conversation that flows from a relationship with God, and a kind of working definition of prayer for this teaching series on prayer, uh, then like my conversation with Camille, my wife, you know, we'll have the open sharing of hearts, we'll have the listening carefully, and then uh, we'll, we'll we'll, we'll get to work. We'll talk about getting stuff done. We join with God, our Father, as his children, in the work of the family business, making all things new. 
And the main idea that I have for us today is that we follow Jesus into the gap by laboring in prayer. Kind of unpack this, this sentence. Work, working prayer, intercessory prayer, praying for other people is what Jesus did and continues to do today for me and you. And so if we claim to be his followers, his apprentices, then we are invited to do the same thing. And there's a, there's a gap aspect to it, an in, in intercessory prayer where we're in between. And then there's a labor to it. It's hard work. We gotta call it what it is. There's, there, there, there's labor like work, and then there's labor like, there's an aspect where it's literally like a woman in labor seeking to bring new life into the world. There's a, a fighting to intercessory prayer. So we're gonna dive into some of all that stuff this morning. But before we do that, I want to address the elephant in the room. Tyler Staten in his book, Praying Like Monks, Living Like Fools, which is out on our book table, talks about this tension whenever you get to intercessory prayer. Uh, the, I mean, in prayer in general, but I think particularly in intercessory prayer, where we want God to do real things on the earth, uh, which is that there is a wonder to it, and then there's a mystery to it. And we've got to hold both of those things together. The, the wonder is that God answers prayer. I can testify to answer prayer. Many of you here can answer to prayer, testify to answered prayer. We can look throughout church history to see amazing answers to prayer. They, the sweetest example, I feel like I talk about it all the time. It is so fun that Julie Large led us in prayer walking around Forest Park Elementary as we sought to launch LifeWise ministry, reaching public school kids, with the good news of Jesus, and we did that for most of the summer, once a week, and that program is off and running, growing faster than we can find teachers and volunteers. It's beautiful. We, we hear stories in church, we read books, all kinds of things, and, and some of us, you know, we, we love that. We get all jacked up on the power of prayer. Let's get after it. But others of us, or maybe all of us, have some part of us that you know, have, have that, that, that cynic in the back of our head, the, the, the mystery of prayer. That there, it, there's questions about prayer that are, just, that, are, that are uncomfortable, that are hard to understand. Uh, and, there, and to be honest, personally, I found that there's not super airtight answers to some of these questions around the mystery of prayer. Airtight answers that remove the need for faith and trust. We see prayer work sometimes, and other times it seems like it doesn't work. Why do we do it? Why does it matter? Like, if God, does God really need me with my, my ill-informed, like, contradictory desires and ideas to, to pray for things out of imperfect motives? Like, doesn't he know how to run the world? If he knows what's best, he's all wise, like what does he need me for? If he's all good, won't he do it anyways, whether I ask or not? I mean, just the story of Monica and Augustine. You know, why did it take so long? Nine years after the dream. Why those nine years of debauchery and, and fighting, the, fighting God's work in the world? There's just tension between wonder and mystery that God answered Monica's prayers an amazing way that we, that we know her name. We know her name and the result of her prayer life 1,500 years later. But then there's the mystery that can often paralyze us to where we don't pray. Or, because you're in 
in church today, I imagine there's, there's some element uh, of you that prays in some way, shape, or form, but sometimes the tension leads to us praying such benign, vague, generic prayers that we'll never really know if God answers them or not. It's like a self-protection. We just pray generally or vaguely enough that we protect ourselves from being disappointed, from being hurt, putting ourselves out there. Thought experiment, super convicted by this uh, this week. If God were to say yes to every single prayer that you prayed just in the past seven days, what would change? What would be different about your life and the world? Like, would there be any noticeable difference at all? The elephant in the room is that there is a mystery around prayer, around asking God to do things. And there are some answers to those prayers, theologically, biblically, that we could, we could explore, even philosophically. But I think if you're looking for some airtight answer to, to this mystery, a, a way to make the mystery of prayer go away to where it almost doesn't require faith and it makes perfect sense. I don't think you're going to find it. Because it seems like what God is interested in is our childlike trust. It's almost like God wants us to, to trust him in the mystery. To work out our faith and trust the promises that he's given us in his word. So the good news is in the mystery of prayer, we have a compassionate Father who can hold us in it. Because remember, we're praying what we got. So we're asking for things, and they're not happening. The opposite happens. It gets worse and not better. What, whatever, like, we have a compassionate Father that we can pour out that confusion, our anger at how things are going with direct honesty. God can hold us in the mystery of prayer. And I think it's in the mystery of prayer that we experience some of the most tender care from our Father. The other elephant in the room is that Jesus, our king, our teacher, our rabbi, he's very, very clear about the power and importance of prayer with minimal explanation on how it works. Let me just verse bomb you. Don't feel like you gotta write these down. I just want like the words of Jesus to wash over us right now, okay? Are you ready? Luke eleven nine and and I tell you ask and it will be given to you seek and you will find knock and it will be opened to you Mark eleven twenty four therefore I tell you whatever you ask in prayer believe that you have received it and it will be yours John fourteen thirteen whatever you ask in my name this I will do that the Father may be glorified in the Son if you ask me anything in my name I will do it. John 15, 7, if you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. Matthew 21, 12, or 21, 22, whatever you ask in prayer, you will receive if you have faith. Matthew 7, 11, if you then who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father who is in heaven give good things to those who ask him? These are the words of our king, friends. And it's profound to me that our king, our teacher, the one who loved us so much that he would die for us, chose not to explain theologically, philosophically, how prayer works and combined with God's sovereign will and all the swirling cosmos of all the things. But instead, he just very bluntly, 
tells us what it is, tells us what the promises are in prayer. And so we follow Jesus by praying in the gap, laboring in prayer. We follow Jesus into the gap by laboring in prayer. Let's talk about the gap. Let's talk about standing in the gap here for a minute. That phrase, standing in the gap, or the gap, is trying to unpack what the word intercession really means. Intercessory prayer is the official term of what we're talking about. It comes from the Latin word intercedo, which means to come between. When we are praying for someone, we are coming between them and God and laboring in that in-between space and advocating for them. This is the core way that we follow Jesus, one of the core ways that we do what Jesus did. Jesus, on many, many levels, came as God in the flesh, as the Son of God, to stand in the gap for us. He stood in the gap between sinful, broken humanity and a perfect God and reconciled us to to one another. And look what Romans 8, 34 says. Christ Jesus, who died, more than that, who was raised to life, is at the right hand of God and is also what? Interceding for us. That's what he's doing right now for you and for me. He's in the gap for us. 1 John 2, 1 says, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous one. He's with the Father, interceding with us, advocating for us. Jesus stands in the gap for us. He comes between us, both with his justifying work on the cross and even now as a risen king, he's, he's interceding for us. And so we follow him. When you and I are laboring in prayer on behalf of others, when we're standing in the gap, bringing someone before God in prayer, like with the, the two names you're invited to pick for this, these 21 days, then we are, we are following our king, we're following our rabbi and doing what he did in a way that we're able to do. And this gap is right smack in the middle of the Lord's Prayer, what Kathy read earlier. At the core of the kind of pinnacle teaching on prayer from Jesus is the gap. Let, let, me, let me show you. First, let me read it. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. This prayer is two sets of three petitions. The first half, the first set of petitions is all about God's reality. And you see this in the pronouns. Your name, your kingdom, your will. The first set, of, and this is the brilliance of Jesus' teaching on prayer here, the first move of prayer is to get us into God's reality, fill our minds and hearts with the reality of who God is. We, t- we stop, we take a breath, we turn our eyes to God who is present with us and also reigning over everything. And then the second set, the pronoun changes, and, and what is it? Our, us, our daily bread, our debts, our debtors. And right in the middle of these two sets of petitions is what? On earth as it is in heaven. That's the gap. 
That's the gap that we, that we enter into with intercessory prayer that ties these things together. We get into God's reality, and then we're in the gap to see God's reality come to earth as it is in heaven. We stand in the gap to labor in prayer, asking God to bring his kingdom, that earth would, would reflect God's perfect loving will the same way that it is in heaven. Last week I drove uh, the ladies from Scarlet Hope to the clubs for outreach. This uh, Scarlet Hope is a ministry we partner with that goes into the adult entertainment industry to share the love of Jesus with the women. And before we went out, we huddled up to pray. And it was just a, a heavy prayer time that particular Thursday night. Uh, a, a lot of these ladies were down and, and discouraged. Uh, there, there was a, a woman that they had met um, through outreach that they had been, you know, kind of taking under the wing and helping try to find new, new work and new place to live. And she had a six-year-old son. And, uh, but she'd gone, she'd kind of gone missing. And it was, they didn't know where her and her six, or her six-year-old son were, were staying for the night. She kind of left a place that she was staying and there were abusive men in the picture. It was, it was just messy. And it wasn't for lack of having resources to offer. It was just the brokenness of of the situation, just layers and years and levels of brokenness in this woman's life. And my heart just melted as I sat there with those ladies, uh, just overwhelmed with God's love as they were standing in the gap for this woman and her son. That God saw, looked at the world and saw this woman and her son and orchestrated it to have these women with tears in their eyes, bearing her burden, coming before the Father with her needs. This woman who, who can't pray or is struggling to pray, struggling under so many layers of brokenness, and they're advocating her, for her, pleading before the Father, interceding for her. Praying for other people is ordinary love combined with sober humility. We love people, and people's needs exceed our capacity to help them. And so what can we do? We can pray. We pray to the one whose capacity is infinite. Now I just want to talk about the labor. Because intercessory prayer is a work. Let anybody tell you otherwise. People who say, oh, well, I, I, don't, I don't want to just pray. I want to get to work. Don't understand what intercessory prayer is about and haven't really explored the, <laughs> explored the wonder and mystery. Standing in the gap is a labor of love. It's easier not to do. It's less painful not to do. When you're in the midst of it, it can feel so crushing. In a lot of ways, it's just like being willing to let others' sat- sadness infect your heart. Like just let, the, let absorb the brokenness and sadness of, of the people around you and hold it. Hold it before God. It's easier, honestly, to be busy with food pantries and homeless shelters and tutoring and transportation and, and those things. And we should be doing those things, but that won't fix it because there's a deeper brokenness that no amount of money or resources can fix. It's a, it's a systemic root issue in the lives of people and the systems and structures of our civilization that only God can fix. So I was 
praying this morning uh, for our time together and in, in this teaching. Uh, God brought God brought to verse brought to mind a verse. There it is. Uh, uh, something that made me rewrite the end of this sermon. So this might get a little scruffy here, uh, but just trying to be be faithful to what God seems to be saying. This is the verse that He brought to mind. Ephesians six twelve. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Do we believe this verse? I gotta be honest with you, I think I might be like eight months into living like this verse is true, and even then, not all the time. Because I can default back into logistics or things that I can do or networking phone calls I can make to try to fix something rather than seeing that the primary battle, the primary struggle is not first and foremost with the people or the logistics. We have spiritual forces of evil. We have spiritual enemies that influence and even control people and systems and structures and organizations that cannot be fought by human means. And so I want to put this other word before you, another spin on intercessory prayer, which is contending prayer. This is a way of praying, a way of standing in the gap that's like stepping into a ring like a boxer. That's praying to win. That's praying to fight and win. If you're watching SportsCenter and they say, yeah, this team is really a contender, what do they mean? They mean that team could win, that they're in a battle, that they're in a fight, and that team could win. A boxer is going up against the, the champion. They're contending for the title. And guys, we are in a battle, a spiritual battle. There is good and there is evil. And there is a battle that's not just in what we can see. It's beyond what we can see. And the primary way that we enter this battle is through prayer. The first and most powerful thing that we can do in a battle is through prayer. I've been so encouraged by the prayer, prayer, tradition, prayer traditions of African-American brothers and sisters. Um, as I read and, and studied this week, because a lot of that prayer tradition was forged in the fires of slavery, where the only way that they could fight injustice, fight for justice, was to pray. So you read stories of, of communities of slaves working all day and then gathering for all-night prayer, pleading for justice, contending, fighting against the spiritual forces of evil that were at work in chattel slavery. And contending prayer is where we're, we're like groaning, yelling, demanding that God do what he promised he would do. We, we're demanding God's promises based on God's character. God, you are a good God. You are a just God. You hate wickedness. You hate violence. You will crush the oppressors, and I want you to do that now. I pray in the name of Jesus, you would jam up guns and shatter gang, gangs that celebrate violence. You protect children in dangerous neighborhoods. 
contending against the spiritual forces of evil, calling forth, calling down from heaven that it would be on earth as it is in heaven, calling the promises, the goodness of God down in heaven. There's an amazing story uh, from a city in Colombia, Cali, Colombia, uh, from back in the 90s, uh, that where, the, where the, the, the big C church in the city did just this. Cali, Colombia was, was on the cover of Time magazine uh, because of the cocaine uh, cartel, drug cartels. There were like seven massive cartels that were pretty much all rooted and based in Cali, Colombia. And it was, just, it was just a war zone. You know, like 10 to 20 murders every single day. The cartel with just insane amount of money were buying up like entire city blocks. And, and it was just absolute uh, terror people dying all the time and they're influencing the government because they had so much money they're you know buying off politicians all kinds of things are happening and there was this fledgling little uh, association of pastors in Cali Colombia uh, and they started to get together uh, work through the, I thought this was hilarious start work through some of their like interfaith beefs you know they're like little squabbles that pastors love to get into and they, they work through some of that and achieve some unity just within their little, their little network of pastors. And then they called the big C church of Cali, Columbia to a soccer stadium to pray all night. And after that first prayer meeting of all night prayer, where thousands showed up, the next two days saw zero murders. For the first time in a decade, in a town that was averaging double digits a day of murders, there were 48 hours, an entire weekend of no murders. And so that, of course, got everybody fired up, and they kept praying, doing these all-night prayer gatherings, contending in prayer against the spiritual forces of evil that transcended the drug cartels, the local police, the, the, the federal government of Colombia. All this stuff was all woven with the spiritual forces of evil, and they started contending, fighting, and they saw radical transformation. All seven of the drug cartels, or I think six out of the seven, were, were, were like obliterated within a year. It completely changed and transformed the entire landscape of this city. Contending prayer is where we demand God's promises to come in power now. And we labor like a woman delivering a baby for it to happen. We groan, we feel the pain, because it has to happen, God. We want this to happen now. God, you said this is who you are. God, you said you would do this in your word. Do it now. There's lots of areas that we could contend in prayer together. We could step into the ring with our gloves on, or gloves off, I don't know, what other expression would best work. But I just want to invite you personally to join me in contending in prayer for our, for our church family here. Contend for Colorado Baptist Church in prayer. We're in a season in the history of our church where we're, you know, I think we're at a crossroads. You know, will, will God revital us, revitalize us? Will we experience renewal? Uh, will we unify for a new chapter of ministry as we're, as we're in this scruffy time of, you know, the, the ministry passing from one generation to, to the next? Those are questions that still have to be answered. And listen, friends, we have spiritual enemies 
that want the answer to be no to all of those questions. Rulers and authorities, spiritual forces of evil that would love to see us close quietly, would love to sow confusion and discord and break all of our furnaces. So can we contend together? Can we, can we lock arms and fight, strain to see, pray that labor and prayer to see that God would birth new work here? in our church family. We'll be able to labor in prayer. One thing I love about our church is that we are hard workers. But listen, we aren't in our current state as a church for lack of effort, for lack of hard work, for lack of, tr- of service, opportunities, and outreach. We have a beautiful history of doing stuff, serving our neighborhood, and I hope that continues. But I think in this season, the cry of my heart is that we would lock arms and contend, step into the ring for the sake of God's work in us and through us in this place, in Carl Road Baptist Church as it is in heaven. Not just so that we'd survive, not just for the sake of this building or the, you know, the, the, anything, but so that we can be a part, continue to be a part as a church family of standing in the gap. See heaven come to earth. All great movements of God begin with extraordinary prayer of God's people. These outpourings, this work of God, revival, renewal, begin with extraordinary prayer of God's people, just like in Cali, Colombia. They came together. That was their, their secret to the problem that could not be solved by any amount of money or government involvement or police or anything. It was people praying because we are not going to casually, passively flow into to new life here as a church family. We're not going to you know, serve our way into an outpouring of God's spirit. No, it is through contending in prayer together, laboring, like to where it hurts, to where we're grinding, we're showing up and we're praying, like a woman trying to give new birth. I just want to say that it is work. Like prayer a lot of times can be life-giving, can draw us into the Father's embrace in beautiful ways. We spent two Sundays talking about that, and it is beautiful, and it must happen there. But, but what if laboring, what if the work for us now is like what a lot of you did on Monday night, which is show up to the chapel that was freezing cold on a freezing cold dark night, and to labor in prayer together in, in, our, in our prayer meeting. That's something we're going to continue to do on the third Monday uh, of every month, uh, pray to have a, a, a larger prayer and worship night. I just invite you to, to mark your calendar for that. And also uh, to come back next week to labor in prayer together. Next Sunday will be the last day of our 21 days of prayer. And we were, there was some debate on whether we should make this public or surprise you guys. I'm going for, you know, full disclosure here. So, uh, And next Sunday, we'll, we'll just have a prayer gathering in here at 1030. This, this time here will just be a, a time of corporate prayer. We'll have some songs, some scripture reading, and then we'll kind of be like huddling up throughout the pews uh, to pray. Someone said, if you, if you announce that, no one will come. And listen, I would rather have way fewer people who come ready to work, ready to contend in prayer, than to have a bunch of people surprised and you know, not, not want to not wanna be in the room or whatever. Uh, so I invite you to come back next Sunday, and it'll just be our Sunday gathering will be uh, a prayer and worship time where we'll, we'll, we'll lock arms and, and do some work in prayer. So a couple of practicalities for us around intercessory prayer or contending prayer. Uh, the first one is, 
if this is something you want to do, you know, this is an invitation. If you're like, yes, I want to, I want to be an intercessor. I want to contend some practical things. First one is to use your body. The, this could look a, a few different ways. First, it is unbelievable fuel for prayer to go to broken places. That was like one of the reasons why I go next door to the Laurels or volunteer at Forest Park Elementary when, you know, when I can make it fit or you know, drive for Scarlet Hope and sit in the parking lot of clubs or whatever. Like when you go with your body to broken places, uh, it just, you, you see it right there. You know, I'm seeing, seeing the, you know, like the kid at Forest Park Elementary that, you know, was bitten in the face by a pit bull when he was a kid and still has the scars. You know, like you just see things that will make it easy to pray for that burden your heart. Uh, if you feel like, well, I, I don't really know what to pray or who to pray for, it's like, just go somewhere different. Go for a walk, maybe just around your neighborhood um, and just be amongst, be out in the world and see what God puts on your heart. Uh, so uh, this, is a, this is a gift. You don't have to like muster up, you know, the energy to contend. You just have to let your heart be broken with the things that break God's heart. Uh, next is, as you're praying, uh, is to kneel or get on your face uh, different bodily postures can really do a lot. We don't have to. God hears our prayers no matter how we're arranged or whatever. Uh, I'm just saying this, it, it helps to, to, to bend your knees, to bow your body before God and acknowledge that only he can do the work. And the, the last way we use our bodies in contending prayer is to fast. I do a whole teaching, a whole sermon series on this. Uh, it's a super powerful thing, but just don't eat. Uh, if, you've, if you've never seen God answer a prayer, never heard God's voice, try fasting. Uh, maybe just skip breakfast or skip, uh, you know, lunch one day or a few days and just sit with God in the hunger. So take it or leave it. There's some, some in, in, invites. Uh, the, but fasting in particular, like you feel it physically, that, that angst, that groaning, that longing. Like, God, bring, bring justice. But save this person that I love so dearly who doesn't know you. And I'm just going to feel the hunger pain and let that draw me to labor and prayer. And then the second practical thing is to take breaks. <laughs> uh, you know, no one can, like, lift weights 24 hours a day, you know, you know or, or even an hour a day, or what, you know, whatever. Like, the, if, if contending prayer sounds exhausting, then you are hearing me right. It is exhausting. It is like putting our heart out there and feeling the burden. It is exerting ourselves in prayer, which means we can't do it all the time, which means we need to rest. There's a monastic tradition that's all about, that's built around prayer, in a, in a very intense structural way. They pray all 150 psalms every week and all this stuff. But one of the, their guidelines is that they do not do intercessory prayer on the Sabbath because it's work. And God, and God set, set this rhythm of Sabbath in to, to rest. And so this idea of contending is not like all the time be like angsty and like, you know, beating your chest. It's like do it sometimes and then go cuddle your kids, you know, or take a nap, <laughs> or, you know, or to, to, like, and, and yeah, take, take, a, take a day off. Have a, have a an annual Sabbath where you, you don't labor in prayer, or a, a weekly Sabbath where you don't labor in prayer. So a couple, couple of practical things there. To land the plane, I just want to give you the, the two C's. The, the other side of contend is contemplate. That's kind of what we talked, a word you could use to summarize the first two Sundays we taught, 
so we're contemplating God's glory, contemplating God's love for us, contemplating uh, receiving the Holy Spirit to speak to us, and then we contend. Contemplate and contend. The, 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 the merger of these two is where the power of prayer is found. We're in the quiet, we're in the stillness, we're being honest with God, praying what we've got. We're listening to God, letting him speak to the details of our lives, letting him see us and speak to us. We see his goodness, his glory. We meditate on the scriptures. We, we do Lectio Divina. We pray the scriptures that tell us who God is and what he's like. And we see, as we contemplate God's glory, we see in the death of Jesus that we know that God is for us. And we know, we see in the death of Jesus and his resurrection that there's no evil, no wickedness, no wrongness that cannot be redeemed. We pray for some outlandish turn in the injustices in our world. We see that God can reveal, or can redeem any evil, any suffering. There's nothing that is hopeless. God can do it. And so it's from that place of intimacy and hope, rooted in the cross and resurrection of King Jesus, that we get to work in contending prayer. We armor up for the fight against the spiritual forces of evil. We labor in prayer to see God break strongholds and bring, bring new life, beauty from ashes. Let me pray. Oh, Father, come before you and just praise you for uh, this work that you've put before us, that you've given us, where we were once trapped in darkness and the futile thinking of our darkened minds, you saved us and brought us into your family as your beloved children. And God, the mystery of prayer is deep. It is, it is a mystery that the, one of the hardest things to do is in, in some levels to not do things, uh, but to ask you to, to do them for us. And I pray that would become our instinct. I pray that uh, before we rant on the internet or get lost in the news cycle, that we would just take our anxieties to you and labor in prayer for you to break the evil around us. Father, right now, would you be bringing to mind the names of people and the power of the Spirit you, you want us to be contending for, laboring in prayer for, standing in the gap for? And Father, I pray your spirit will pour out on us as a church family and that we would be able to contend for uh, your work, your kingdom to come in Carl Road Baptist Church as it is in heaven. And that we would see you do wonderful things in us and through us for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen.